Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues a series entitled Proof Mark. In this message, we look at the change in the disciples' lives. It is undeniable that something happened to them as so many had such transformations. Brennan explains that people will die for something they believe to be true, but they aren't going to die for something that they know to be a lie. Well, good morning again. Glad you're all here. We are going to jump right into our third uh, message in this series called Proof Mark. Those of you who've been here, probably tired of hearing this, but I do want to explain a little bit about it. Uh, a proof mark is something that is stamped onto the barrel of a gun. Um, and I've learned this through my infatuation with the History Channel. Um, it's stamped onto the barrel of a gun, and on that proof mark, it tells people, um, basically authenticates the gun. It tells them when it was made, who made it, where it was made, basically tells you everything about the history of that gun. As I was thinking about that of, of several weeks ago, actually, I started thinking about how God, through his word, has given us many proof marks of our faith that really shows us and points us to the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. Every word in this book, every word in the Bible is intended to point us to Jesus Christ. Um, Every word in this book begins to tell us the story of the gospel about a Savior who would come to us and and give his life for us so that we could be forgiven and have access to a holy God. And so we're going to continue looking at that today. This is probably next week is the week that I'm probably the most excited about just because of of the topic. But this week is probably my second uh, favorite. And we're actually going to look at the changed lives of the disciples and how, how their lives changed because of an event in history, uh, which is the resurrection. So let's jump in in Acts chapter 5. Go ahead and begin to turn there. And we're going to begin to look at how um, the reality of the changed lives of these disciples points us to the reality of who Jesus is. You all excited to be here? Everybody awake? Everybody seems kind of sleepy. All right, this is going to be good. We're going to have a good time Pray, praying that God would move, that God would open our eyes to see more clearly who, uh, who he is, maybe for the first time today, maybe you, you know you'd, you've never really had a relationship with Jesus, and today is the day maybe that God is going to open your eyes through the power of his Holy Spirit so that you can come into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who shed his perfect blood because we're not perfect and yet gave us his righteousness so we can come before a righteous God. And so we're going to be talking about that, and my prayer is that people today would draw close to a holy God. Listen to this. In, in Acts chapter 5, we're going to read verses 33 through 42. It says, when they heard this, and now this is, this is dealing with um, the, the disciples. Man, they're preaching Jesus like crazy. And, and the, the Pharisees, those religious leaders of, of Israel, of the Jews, was, was, were trying to figure out, what are we going to do with these guys? We can't shut them up. And so it says, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, who, by the way, was Paul's mentor, Paul, who wrote most of the books in the New Testament, a teacher of the law held in honor, but all the people stood up and gave orders to put them outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis, we'll call him Thutis, you don't know either, so hush. (laughs) Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed and, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, Judas and Judas, the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, 
you would not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, listen, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing, and they were rejoicing. They just got beat up, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let's pray. God, in the next few minutes, I pray, Lord, that you would do an incredible work in our hearts. Lord, as we come together, the church, not a building, but the people, Lord, we, we realize that your promise is that you would be with us and that the power of the Holy Spirit is here. So, Lord, I, I ask that you would do an incredible work right here, right now that would bring glory to your name. God, may, may I decrease that you could increase in this moment. Lord, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you, um, and you can probably relate to this. The other day, I was at our house, and I decided um, I would take our older boys fishing, Dakin Jackson, which is always an experience, right? My whole goal is not to get hooked in our little bitty boat um, while we're fishing because it's, it's definitely dangerous. Hooks flying everywhere. Um, I'm usually getting knots out more than I'm fishing. And so uh, I, I decided I'd take them fishing. And so I'm out there and I'm hooking up our boat to take them um, up a little above portal to go fishing. And, and I had a ladder sticking out of the back of my truck. And as I'm hooking up the boat, I needed to get over to the other side of the tongue on the trailer. And so I decided I would just hop over the tongue on the trailer. But when I decided to hop, now listen, I had 200 pounds moving with much momentum to get myself up over. You know, you get older, it's hard to get up and over something. So I I had a lot of momentum going that way. And the ladder sticking out of the back of the truck caught me right across like this general area right here. And, And when it hit me, I don't know if you've ever been hit so hard like you see a flash of light. Anybody ever done that? Like you get hit and it's like, it's like lightning. It was like, and, and so I jump over the thing. It's like, bam. I'm like, oh, oh. And, and then I ended up on my knees because it hit me so hard. I had no clue. I was like, what just happened to me? And I looked up and the green ladder was sticking out of the back of my truck. I was like, oh, my gosh. Dake was in the front seat. He's like, what's wrong with you, Dake? I was like, well, what had happened was, Dake, um, and, you know, I, I mean, what happened was I, I, the ladder hit me in the head and it was so sore. But I had no idea, like, what just hit me? You ever felt like that in life? Where you like, you're just minding your own business. You kind of got some momentum going in a certain direction. And all of a sudden it's like, bam, there's a flash of light. And you're like, what just happened? What just happened? I I guarantee you everybody in this room has been in that place. Where at some point things were rocking along and all of a sudden, bam, what happened? It might have been in your job. It might, it might have been, it might have been when you lost your job, the economy turned south. You know what? Everything was going good. The momentum was going. Everything was working. And all of a sudden the economy tanks and now your business is gone and you're looking around going, what happened? What happened? It might, it might be with your children. Maybe right now it's like, you don't even know where one of your children all right, where are they? You, I mean, you haven't talked to you don't know. And you're looking around going, what happened? What happened? Everything was going so good. What happened? It might be a doctor's report. 
We've had that a lot in our family. Where all of a sudden everything's moving in the right direction. And all of a sudden, bam! What happened? My girlfriend, now wife Susan, diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. My mom diagnosed with breast cancer. My, um, my uncle diagnosed with a brain tumor. Praise God, my, my wife and my mom are still sitting here. But bam! What happened? What happened? Maybe it was an accident. Maybe something happened. Five years ago Friday, my dad was in a motorcycle wreck. Thought he, thought he was, we didn't know if he was alive for like five hours. I didn't know if my dad was alive or dead. He's sitting here today too. But you know, it radically changed all of our lives. Everything's moving in a good direction. Bam. What happened? What happened? You ever been there? Anybody else? Am I just talking? Come on now. Have you ever been there? Everything's rocking along and all of a sudden, bam, what happened? And the amazing thing is we find the disciples in the Gospels, in the Gospel account, we find them in a what happened moment. We find them in a what happened moment. But somehow they come out on the other side of what happened and they're preaching the gospel, they're living with joy, they're, they're, they're prospering, and they're doing everything that God created them to do. How did they get to the, from the, uh, to the other side of what happened? I can tell you. What happened was answered by the resurrection. What happened was answered when Jesus, after three days being in a tomb, stepped out and appeared to the disciples. And my prayer is that he would appear to us today. One of the greatest evidences of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the change in the lives of the disciples. I want to read to you a little bit out of the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 14 is where we're headed. Mark chapter 14. I want to read this to you. It's that you got to put yourself in the shoes of these disciples. They've been following Jesus for three years. They have left families. They have left, they've, they've left businesses. They've left everything to follow him. And now they've witnessed the one they believe to be the Messiah. Listen, they left their religion. They left their culture. They left everything behind. And now they, the one that they had put their trust in, their faith in, that they believed in, they just watched him die. This is where they're coming to arrest Jesus. These people, these disciples are in a what happened moment. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 43. And immediately... While he was still speaking, this Jesus was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid, laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. That was actually Peter. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching. And you not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And there's this, verse 51. 
And a young man who followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. A young man who followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away. Listen, when they come to take Jesus, and they see the one they believe to be the Messiah arrested, everybody scattered. They were all scared. It actually fulfills Old Testament prophet, prophecy that, that the shepherd would be struck and the sheep would scatter. And that's exactly what happens. They come and they begin to take Jesus away and everybody flees. In fact, Mark, who is writing this gospel according to Peter's account, actually flees so quickly. It's like they try to grab him. They grab hold of his, his little linen garment and, and he runs on anyway. He actually runs away naked. And I say naked, not naked. All right? Somebody told me last week, you're like, you realize you say naked, not naked? I said, I'm from South Georgia. That's how I say it. Right? I say, y'all, I like sweet tea. Just a big, dumb redneck, right? And so he flees. He runs away naked. Is that better? He runs away naked. Because all they're thinking is, we got to get away, we're leaving. And they all leave and they run away. The most remarkable thing is this. All of those disciples who fled, who we find in the book, they're, they're huddled together for fear of the Jews. They're, 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 they're scared out of their minds. Every one of them, a few weeks later, is proclaiming the gospel and willing to die to preach Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So here's the thing, and I read this somewhere. I don't know who I'm ripping this off of, but I probably wouldn't give him credit anyway. But it's not my thought. But what I read this one time that says that men will, will die for a lie that they believe to be true. But they will not die for a lie that they know to be false. See, we would die. If we believed something and we thought it was the truth, we'd pro- we might be willing to die for that. But if you know something's a lie, are you really going to give your life for it? When, when Peter got crucified upside down because he didn't feel he was worthy of dying the same death of his Lord. And they're about to put you upside down and drive some nails through your, your wrist and your feet. At some point in that, if I knew it was a lie and Jesus wasn't who he says he is, I would probably be like, <clears throat> let me, uh, time out. Can I get a time out real quick? Because... We've just, been, we've just been goofing with y'all, right? We've been playing around. This, it didn't happen. At that point, I'm backing away. Listen, when, when they're about to put John in the, the boiling oil, the apostle John, when they, they, they boiled him alive. It just didn't kill him. They're about to drop me in that oil. I'm like, time out. Pause. Can we, put, can we push the pause button for a second? Because it didn't really happen. But none of them did that. In fact, every one of them, except for John, the apostle, died a martyr's death. All 11, excluding John, died for the gospel. And right here in Mark 14, we see that they were running for their lives. Something happened. Would you agree with me? Something happened to change their mind. And I want to tell you what that something was. It was the resurrection. See, the good thing for us as Christians is this. We don't believe in a philosophy. We don't believe in a theory. We believe in an event. That if you present the case of that event before any trial lawyer 
or before any judge, the only logical conclusion is that the resurrection is a true historical event. Listen to this. Let's go to the book of Acts. Book of Acts. This is where we'll read Acts chapter 9. Verses 10 through 19. Listen. So the first, the first testimony, the first evidence of this we see is the disciples and their change, the change that begins to happen in them. Now listen to what it says about Paul. Paul has had his conversion experience on the Damascus Road. He, he has seen the Lord. Paul was a murderer, a killer of Christians. In fact, the only reason he was going to Damascus was to kill Christians and put them in jail, men, women, and children. He didn't discriminate. He was going to get them all. In verse 10, it says this, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise, go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias. Come, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, you're nuts. I didn't know exactly what he said. But he said, Lord, I've never heard from it. From, I have heard from many men about this man. How much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. He then killed Ananias. No, he didn't. He didn't do that. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And it goes on to say that he immediately, he immediately began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. Who was in the synagogues? Jews, the ones that he had just been a part of, the ones who knew that he was one of the biggest persecutors of the Christian church that had lived, that lived at that point. And he goes in and begins to tell them Jesus is the Messiah. He begins to go in and, and try to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. And think about this. How would you like to be Ananias? And God's like, hey, Ananias, got a job for you. You know, Paul, that guy that kills Christians, I need you to go talk to him. I need you to go tell him I love him. I need you to go put your hands on him. I'm going to take the scales off of his eyes. We're going to do a miracle. But, but I really need you to go and give him this message, Ananias. That would be equivalent of like before our, our military killed Osama bin Laden. Like if God came to you and said, um, hey, hey, John, here's the thing I need you to do. Osama bin Laden is over on South Maine. And it's actually, it's actually 325 South Maine. And what I need you to do is I, I need you to go in there and lay your hands on him. Tell him who you are. And, and, and I want you to pray for him uh, so that he can be my instrument. Anybody want to volunteer for that mission? No. No. But this is the same thing that is going on with, with Ananias and Paul. Ananias didn't know if he was going to be killed or not. Why? Because Paul was such a persecutor of Christians. He hated Christians. 
And yet now we look, and, and when you open your Bible and you turn to the New Testament, most of what you end up reading are the epistles that Paul wrote to the churches. Can we agree this morning that something happened? Can we agree that there was something that changed the life of Paul and that something was he encountered the resurrected Christ? The thing that changed him was the resurrection. Paul realized, listen, that Jesus is Lord. And he submitted his life. And you know what? Paul, for that gospel that he was persecuting and trying to stop, you know what happened to him? He got his head cut off. Literally, he lost his head in Rome. They killed him for the gospel that he had persecuted. Something happened, and what happened was the resurrection. Let's look at the the last one, Mark chapter 3. This is actually my favorite one, Mark chapter 3. Mark 3, I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. It says that, that, that then Jesus went home and the crowd gathered again so that he could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he's out of his mind. His own family. He's lost his mind. This dude is crazy. He's lost it. Let's go get him. He is an embarrassment to the family. Let's go get him. Absolutely humiliating. Let's go get him. You look over in John uh, chapter 7. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. You see that they're trying to encourage Jesus. Listen, Jesus, there's a, a, a feast going up in, on in Jerusalem. Why don't you go on up there, man? A guy like you, you ought to reveal yourself to the people. You ought to show yourself to them, man. Do a miracle. Do something. Don't hide. Go on up there. You know what they were trying to do? Get him killed. His family didn't like him. He was an embarrassment. They hated him. But I want you to listen to this. James chapter 1. Absolutely amazing. If I can get there. It's in here. It's in my Bible. James chapter 1. Listen to what James says. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the amazing thing about this, guys. James, that wrote the book of James, was the half-brother of Jesus. Half-brother because his father was God and his mother was Mary. He shared the same mother, not the same father, right? And and he, he, he says right here, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, when they're in the upper room, we find that the people who are gathered are the disciples and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The ones who called him crazy. The ones who wanted him to get killed. And we look at this, and James is calling him his Lord. He's calling him self a servant of his Lord, of his brother. Now, how many of you got brothers and sisters? What would it take for you to write a letter to somebody and say, Bob, a servant of the Lord, Joe? I I thought about this, like, what if Jackson, my my four-year-old, almost five-year-old, walked up to Dake, my eight-year-old, and was like, da-da-da, Dake? I want you to know, 
I am the Lord. And nothing has been made that was not made through me. And I want you to know that before the beginning of time, I am. My four-year-old speaking to my eight-year-old. I am. I am God. And then he says, and I also want you to know that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jackson is Lord. You know what happened? My eight-year-old would punch him in the nose. Because Dake is not going to bow to Jackson. They will aggravate each other to the point of, of that. And I can believe that one of them would try to take over the world. But they are not going to bow to each other. Why? Because they're brothers. They, they, they know it. he's not God. So what happened? What happened to cause brothers of Jesus to go from wanting him killed to go from 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 being humiliated and embarrassed to him to being the people who are proclaiming the gospel James actually became the leader of the church at Jerusalem James actually because he was preaching the gospel was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple for proclaiming the gospel actual legend is they took him up there so he could denounce Jesus they're like you need to denounce Jesus as the Lord he said okay let's go they get him up there he preaches a message about Jesus he starts preaching about Jesus. They get mad, so bam, they just kick him off. He falls, hits the ground, laying on the ground, still alive. So they start picking up stones, and they stone him to death. See, if, if I survived the fall, at that point, I'd probably be like, okay, guys, I'm good. Seriously, take me back up there, and we'll do this thing. He didn't do that because he knew that Jesus is who he says he is. James knew. How do you know? The Bible tells us that when Jesus was resurrected, he appeared to many, many people, and among those, it specifically mentions James. Can I tell you how all this happened? Can I tell you, listen, why didn't Thutis, or whatever, I mean, why would you name your kid that, right? Thutis. Come here, Thutis. I mean, you know he probably grew up and wasn't very smart. He had no self-confidence because his name was Thutis. Thutis. If your name's Thutis, I'm really sorry. I hope you come back. <laughs> but we should probably talk to your parents. Um, but but, but what, what happened with Thutis? What happened with Judas? When they were killed, everybody scattered. Nothing ever happened. Why was it different with, with the apostles? Why was it different with James? Why was it different with Paul? Because they saw the risen Christ. That's why. That is exactly why. Because they saw Jesus alive. That's what happened. They realized that Jesus is who he says he is. That Jesus really rose from the grave. Or else they'd have never given their lives for something they knew was a lie. There's all kinds of theories. They might have hid his body, really. So they died for a hidden body. I don't think so. They, looked to, they went to the wrong tomb. Were they drunk? They knew where the tomb was. He didn't go to the wrong tomb. He just wasn't there. Jesus rose. Their changed lives are evidence. People who were scared, scattered, disillusioned, disheartened, became the people who proclaimed the gospel. And you know what's funny is every time people try to stop the gospel, it grows more. The places that the gospel seems to flourish is the places where it's persecuted. And see, here's the deal, guys. I, I don't think, now this might happen if it does, like, holy cow. 
I don't think Jesus is going to walk through the doors in physical form today like he did in the upper. He might. If he does, I mean, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to, right? So, so we're probably not going to lay our eyes on him physically. But here's the thing that I would tell you. We can see him in our heart. We see him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is the thing that I know, that when the Holy Spirit moves to open our eyes to the reality of who Jesus is, there is a knowing that goes on inside of you at the very core of your being that says, I don't care what has happened, I know that Jesus is still Lord. I don't care what has happened, I know that a God who loves me is on the throne, and because of that, it's going to be all right. And because of what he's done for me, I'm going to tell other people about the one who gave it all for me. That's what happened. What happened is the resurrection. What happened is Jesus rose from the grave. We're going to finish this up in John chapter 20. If you want to go ahead and turn there. John chapter 20. Because the thing that, 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 that I was really praying through the last couple of weeks, especially this week, so I was praying about what to talk to you about is, is I really want to tell you the things that they encountered when they encountered the risen Christ. What, did they, what was it that they, why, why was it such a powerful thing? Why, why were they willing to go to such lengths to make sure other people knew the truth about Jesus and the resurrection? And one thing that I want you to hear today, because one thing that's so hard in the South is like, everybody's Christian. You ever notice that? Like, everybody's Christian. Like, you run into people, like, like hey, man, what's going on? Yeah, uh, I'm a, yeah I mean, you, you somehow Christianity comes up, you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. Yeah, me too, man, me too. My, my, my grandma, she, uh, she was a Christian. And uh, so I'm a Christian too. Like, you know, Christianity doesn't, like, just flow through your, de- like, your genes. Like, when you were born, like, if your parents were Christian, you didn't just automatically become Christian. That's like a decision we all have to make, right? But in the South, everybody's Christian. But, but like, if everybody's Christian, why don't we see it? Why, why, why do we look around and, like, dang, you're, we were out at the ballpark the other night playing church league softball. We're standing there, and we're watching a game, and two, two, two churches were playing that will remain not anonymous. We won't say anything. about. We won't call it out. But we're watching church league softball. My 8-year-old day kid's standing there. And they are about to have a fist fight. Fans are yelling at fans. I'm like, oh my gosh. And my eight-year-old walks up to me and looks at me and he says, Daddy, are those churches? I said, yeah, buddy, they are. He said, they sure don't act like it. I said, he's, this is, he's eight. And he realizes it. And see, this is the thing that I realize is that so, so we're so confused because we believe that going through some religious duty and some religious um, actions and some religious um, emotions makes us Christians. I don't. An encounter with the risen Christ and putting our faith in him makes us Christians. An encounter with Jesus changes our heart. The Bible says very clearly in Jeremiah 17, our hearts are evil. Every one of us have an evil heart. So therefore, we need a heart transplant. The only one capable of removing your heart and putting a new one in is God. And God did that through Jesus as he reconciles us to himself and gives us a heart of flesh to replace our heart of stone. But one of the most frustrating things is trying to preach to people who think they know Jesus and yet 
there's never been any evidence of Jesus working in their lives. Because here's the thing I know, if we encounter the God of the universe, something changes. When we encounter the God of the universe, our lives are altered. But ask you today, has your life been altered by Jesus? Because he's not only Savior, he is also Lord. And when you have a Lord, you don't have options. The option is, I obey. When he speaks, I do. So my question is to you guys today, is he really Lord? Is he Savior? Is he really the Lord of our lives? Has our life been altered by him? What did these people encounter when they encountered the risen Jesus Christ? Listen to John chapter 20. I want to read, um, let's just read verses 19 through 21. Actually, we're going down through 23. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for, the fear, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said, what, what, were, what went through their mind when they saw that would be That's really awesome. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Listen to this, verse 21 again. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The first thing they encountered when they encountered the risen Jesus is they encountered a purpose that was greater than themselves. They encountered a purpose that was greater than themselves. They no longer were confused. Listen, they were living in a place of confusion. They didn't know what was going on. They, what, when what happened, happened. When Jesus was crucified, arrested, and crucified, and died, when what happened, happened, they got to this place where they didn't know what was going on, and they didn't even know what was going on when he was alive. I mean, isn't that evidence of when, when we look at Mark chapter 14, and Jesus is about to be arrested, he's been telling them, I'm going to die, but then I'm going to come back to life, I'm going to rebuild the temple in three days, I'm going to do all this stuff, and then all of a sudden, they come to arrest him, and, and, and Peter's looking, he's like, oh, it's go time. And he's, he's like all pumped up. He's like, listen, we will rock you or something before. It's like pregame, you know. He's all excited. And then all of a sudden they come to arrest him. Judas kisses him on the cheek and Peter's like. <laughs> and you know the reason he cut off his ear? It's because he missed. He missed. The guy like did a little dodge and he got his ear. He was trying to cut this dude's head off. He wasn't trying to cut his ear off. He was trying to kill him. Peter's like, it's go time. Let's do it. And he's ready to go. He's, he's, he's ready to kill some folks for Jesus. Let's take it. Let's go, Jesus. It's time to establish the kingdom. How confused. How confused. And how stupid did he feel when he went, dude's ear falls off and Jesus goes. Puts his ear back on. He's like, Peter, put up your sword. You're an idiot. No, he didn't say that. That's, you know he had to think it. It's like, Peter, how? Ah! Put your sword up. And he heals the guy's ear. Confused. And yet after the resurrection, after Jesus appears to them, after Jesus is glorified and the Holy Spirit comes to live within them and empower them, they were on point. They had focus. They were ready to move as one person. They were preaching the gospel even if it meant their life. 
they encountered a purpose greater than themselves. They encountered something worth living for. And more importantly, they encountered something worth dying for. It was the resurrected Christ. It was God. It was that they knew we have seen him. We've got to tell everybody that we can. Come on, church. Are we living with a passion? Are we living with a, a feeling of, 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 of uh, that, that we got to immediately begin to, to tell them, to tell the people we work with, to tell the people that, that we, we know that we bump into at the recreation department, to tell them about Jesus. Have we encountered the risen Christ to the point that we want and have to tell them? Did we want to tell them? The first thing they did when they encountered Jesus, the resurrected Christ, they, through that resurrection, they began to have hope. Their, their hope was restored and they began to have purpose that was greater than themselves. The second thing, listen to verse 19 in this John chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Second thing that they encounter when they encounter the resurrected Christ is a faithfulness greater than their own. A faithfulness greater than their own. They knew, man, we deserted him, we left him, and here he is. And you know what would have been going through my mind? It's like, when, when, I, when I saw him on the cross and I saw him dead and I saw him go in a tomb, I'd be like, he lied to me. Anybody in here that's real big on like honor and like, and like um, telling the truth and honesty? Yeah, kind of important thing. Kind of just a word in a dictionary for a lot of people, but, but kind of important thing. Th- th- that matters to me. And I would have been like, he betrayed me. I put my hope, I put my trust in him. I, I trusted him with my heart and he betrayed me. And yet he walks through the doors and all of a sudden they realize God is faithful. God did what he said he would do. And they realize God's faithfulness is so much greater than mine. God's faithfulness is so much greater than mine. You know, we, we were um, finished up our church league softball team, which you'd be very proud of our church league softball team. We made it to the semifinals. And, and the most impressive thing, we didn't cuss anybody out all year long. Yeah. We need to give them a hand. Not one person. And, and I really am proud of them because, I mean, it's, it's crazy how some, some people act like they go out there and like playing softball and lose their mind. I'm like, holy cow. Really? Is it that important? And, and, and I'm just proud of those guys. But we were out there playing the other night and we played horrible. Like we looked like we had never seen a softball. Maybe could have beat the team we played if we played really good. But we were horrible. I made like four errors myself and people were dropping fly balls. They never dropped. And we're out there, and, and, and I'm, 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 I'm playing shortstop. Why they put the oldest guy on the field at shortstop, I don't know. But, but I'm playing shortstop, and I'm, I'm out there, and I'm looking, and they would hit balls, and my mind's going, I got that. No, I don't. <laughs> and they'd hit another one, and I'm like, I got that. And it's like my mind's going, yeah, you're all over it. You're all over it. You got it. You got it. Get your glove down there. Get your glove down there. And my body's going, nope. <laughs> Not going to happen. And, and like one time, I promise you, they hit a line drive over my head. And I was like, I got it. And I was going to jump. And it was like this. I was like, what happened? I was like, who put their hand on my shoulder? It's like, like, it's like a four-inch four vertical. 
It's like, gosh, I'm getting old. I told him after the game, I'm like, my gloves wore out, my cleats wore out, now I'm wore out. I think I'm done. Because my mind was telling me to do things that my body couldn't do. And the worst part of it was, I'm like, I'm letting down these guys. I'm letting them down. They've been busting it all year to get to this point, and I'm letting them down. I can't do what, I, what I'm supposed to be doing. I can't do it. I mean, I, it's impossible for me to do it. It, it hurts when, when you let people down. It hurts when you don't fulfill your responsibility, when you care about people, when you care about a cause. And the thing that I realize is, like, God is so far from that. When we can't fulfill our responsibility, when, when it's just impossible or when it was impossible for us to do it, the Bible says that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God is faithful. He promises Christ from Genesis chapter 1, really, but especially in Genesis 3 when we see the promise of Christ, the first prophecy of Christ, all the way through the Scripture. And you know what? God delivered. God delivered. He's faithful. The Bible says that even when we're unfaithful, God is faithful. He is going to hold up his end. And you know, there's never been a time when God saw a ground ball and he went, I'm going to get it. And then it said, nope, I can't get it. There's nothing he can't do. And this is the thing that I want to encourage you with today. As you're walking through what happened, as you're, you're going through the, the loss of a job or a wayward child or, or a, a tragedy or whatever you're going through, This is what I want you to understand. You serve a God that is faithful. And even when your faith fails, he is faithful. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. And he's going to bring you through the other side to the other side of what happened. He is going to bring you through to the other side of what happened. And when you think you can't walk, he'll carry you. Will you trust him? Will you yield to him? Will you give in your life? When what happens, happens. God is faithful to carry us to the other side. The third one. Let's read John 20. 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He showed them his hands and his side. They were like, still at this point, he walks through the door. And wouldn't you not be kind of freaked out? I mean, come on, be honest. Would you not have run out? Like if there was a back, you know there was not a back door because they would have ran out if there had been. I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's a dead man. Seriously, you walk in the funeral home and some dude gets up and comes and starts talking to you. You're going to get out of there. And yet Jesus, here he is, walks in. And there's still some who are wondering, like, is this really him? And he goes, check this out. Hey, look from here. You remember that? Yeah, you remember that? Where were you? How about this? Look at this. That hurt. That hurt. But I did that for you. I did that for you. And at that moment, I believe that, that what they encountered and what they realized was that they, they, they encountered and realized a power that is greater than death. You know why I don't think they were, I think that, that they were willing to die, they weren't afraid of death? It's because they had met the power that was greater than death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what does it say? Where, O oh death, is your sting? It is gone. He's gone. It's gone. 
When Jesus said it's finished, it is finished. For those of us who have put our faith in Christ, death has no victory because Jesus gave it to you. Death can't hold you down. If it didn't hold Jesus down, it can't hold you down. Don't fear death. If you're in Christ, listen, Jesus even said, don't fear men who can only kill the body. Fear the one that can kill the body and then throw you into hell. But then he goes on and says, don't you know how important the sparrows are to your father? How much more important are you? And he says, do not be afraid. And I tell you today, church, don't be afraid. Don't fear men. You know, until we get to a place where we fear God more than we fear men, we'll never do what God called us to do. Do you know that? And I don't mean fear God like being afraid to talk to him. That's why Jesus died is so we can come to God and be in his presence. What I'm talking about is until we get to a place where we revere and we, we have reverence and we, we, we honor God so much more than men, we'll never do what God's called us to do. But these disciples, they encountered power that was greater than death. It no longer had a hold on them. It can no longer stop them. It couldn't slow them down. When what happens or what happened happens, you got to remember, if you're in Christ, you're coming to the other side. When the worst happens, you're coming out on the other side. Why? Because you have power that has overcome death. When you walk through what you're walking through or what you've walked through or what you're going to walk through, you serve a God who has power to recreate and create life from dead situations. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that promise. Listen to me. When, when, I, when I see this, when I see Jesus walk through the doors and they realize it's faithfulness, when I see him walk through the doors and they realize he's got power over death, you know what it tells me? God's not finished. That's why Jesus did his best and greatest work after his death because God was not done. God had more to do. God's not finished with you. You're still sitting here, aren't you? God's not done. There's more for you to do. When I look at each one of you, I realize like God's not finished with you. There's things he wants you to do. There are things he needs you to do. There are things that that he could do on his own. But he says, you know what? I'm going to give you the privilege of being able to be a part of my kingdom and a part of proclaiming the gospel and the good news and not just speaking it, but living it and showing it and demonstrating it. And we get to be a part of that because God's not finished. When I look at this church and I look at the things that God's called us to do, I look at it and I go, God's not finished. When I look at other churches, my prayer is that our eyes would be open for every church that we realize God's not finished. And that there's more to do. And when we walk through what we walk through, when what happens, happens. We know we're coming out on the other side because we serve a God who's given us a greater purpose. We serve a God who is more faithful than we are. And we serve a God who has overcome death with the death of his own son. And he's given us the power to move beyond death to life. You know that's why we started this church? is to see people go from death to life. Because the Bible says that when we're in our sins, before Christ comes into our lives, we're we're, we're not just like limping, we're dead. We're not just lame, we're dead. The Bible says when Jesus comes into our life, when we surrender to him as the Lord of our lives, we go from death to life. And when we abide in him, he promises. He doesn't say maybe, he doesn't say sometimes. He says, if you'll abide in me, you will produce fruit. 
What kind of fruit? Fruit for the kingdom. The last thing. The last thing that they encounter, verse 21 again. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father was with me, even so I'm sending you. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Let me be real honest. If I'm Jesus and they all deserted me and they all ran from me, the first thing I say to them is probably not going to be peace be with you. I'm going to be like, what the crap? Where were you? When I was on the cross, they were driving nails through my hands and my feet. Where were you? Hey, Peter, you remember that all that junk about wanting to cut people's heads off and you were willing to die with me? Where were you? In fact, while you were sitting around the campfire, you remember something? I told you that you denied me three times before the rooster crowed twice. Well, guess what? You did and he did. That would have been my response. I'd be like, I'm going to find me 12 more friends. Because I don't like y'all anymore. But Jesus didn't do that. He walks in, he looks at them, and he says, peace be with you absolutely incredible because right there in that moment they encountered forgiveness that they did not deserve they encountered forgiveness that they did not deserve anybody in here that you you've done so many good things like you you deserve the forgiveness of god put your hand down i'm just kidding nobody did no because none of us deserve the forgiveness that god gives us through his son jesus christ And when he walked through the door and he spoke to them, peace be with you, they realized, he says it twice. They realized we've received, he came back. When everybody deserted him, he came back. And he offers forgiveness of sins to some raunchy people. He offered forgiveness of sins to Paul, who was a murderer, who, who, was, who was killing Christians, arresting women and children. And he forgave him. Peter denied him three times. Do you know what's funny? In Mark chapter 16, when Peter comes out of the grave, he steps out. He sees the women. He says, this is what I want you to do, ladies. I want you to go back and I want you to tell the disciples and who? Peter that I've risen. Isn't it interesting that he called Peter out? When they're eating some fish around a campfire on the lake when, when Jesus appeared to them and they've been out fishing and then they all come out, come back to the beach because Jesus is like, it's me. And, and they come over and they're starting to eat. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says to him three times, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, didn't you just ask me that? He's like, yeah, I love you, Lord. And then he says it again, Peter, do you love me? And it says that Peter became incredibly sorrowful. He was grieved. And you know, I I believe that that, that Peter denying him three times and, and then Jesus asking him three times, do you love me? I believe it was a reinstatement and a recommissioning of Peter. Jesus saying, you know what, bro, listen. I know you did some stupid crap. You did. You are an idiot. But I love you. And 
we're going to recommission you. You remember what I told you about being the rock? And upon this rock, I would build my church. I'm a faithful God. And even on the other side of what happened, I'm going to do an incredible work in your life. Even though in the midst of what happened, you denied me and you ran from me, I'm going to do an incredible work in your life. Because I'm a faithful God. He's overcome death and the grave. And he's given you an incredible purpose to live for. And I'm going to offer you forgiveness that is so far beyond what you deserve. So far beyond what you deserve. Listen to me, people. That is the God that we serve. Is a God who is so passionate about his creation, about his people. That when we are separated from him because of stupid choices we made, he said, you know what? They can never help themselves, but I'm going to help them. I'm going to send my son. He's going to be righteous. He's going to live a perfect life because they can't. And then when it comes time, he'll be the perfect lamb that finally fulfills the sacrifice for all time and take away the sin that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away. When he dies, it's going to give people an opportunity. It's literally going to bust the gates of hell wide open so that men and women and children can come to know me so they can have their sins forgiven. Listen, guys, if you're in Christ, you walk in unbelievable mercy and grace. Unbelievable forgiveness. And I believe this with all my heart, that when we encounter and realize the unbelievable forgiveness of Christ and we step under that blood of Christ that was shed for us to make us clean and we receive the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, it changes our lives. Have you met the risen Christ? Is your life evidence of that? You know what's funny is when, when Ananias goes to Paul, you ever notice like, like the scales didn't fall off the eyes of Paul until Ananias told him the message of God. You ever notice that? He told him the message and the scales fell off. Who is God calling you to tell the message of God to so that the scales can fall off of their eyes? Who's God telling you to invite to church? so that they can hear the gospel. Because one thing I promise you, we will always open the Bible and preach the gospel at this church. What's God doing in your own heart so that you can have deep pockets? And when I say deep pockets, I mean pockets that are filled with the forgiveness and love and mercy and power of God so that you have it to offer to other people. Are you, are you full? Because Jesus said in John chapter 7 that rivers of living water would flow from us when we're in Christ. Do you have something to offer? Because that comes from being in relationship with Jesus. Are you living in that forgiveness that's so much beyond what we deserve? Are you walking in the power that has overcome death? Are you rejoicing even in the midst of what's happened because you have a faithful God who's going to bring you to the other side of what happened? Are you living on purpose to fulfill the work of Jesus? Listen, there's an incredible journey waiting for you. Living for Jesus isn't boring. If, if it's boring, you're not doing it right. It is absolutely insane. It is an insane journey. I can tell you the last two and a half years of my life have been insane. But this opportunity we have to live in relationship with a God who takes us on an incredible journey, not a safe journey, but an incredible journey. A God that allows us to be in fellowship with him so that when what happened happens, we still have joy 
still have peace. We still have the love of God living in and through us.